Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast. This series features recordings from the annual festival, where architects and commentators discuss the latest challenges and innovations in the industry. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at WorldArchFest. Well, almost good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, our next speaker, Francine Huben, uh, is a founder partner and creative director at uh, Mechanu, a practice with a huge range of international projects from the public library in New York uh, to another library in, in Birmingham and uh, photogenic projects across the world. Um, and previously, apart from being a design architect, uh, Francine uh, also uh, curated uh, the inaugural International Architecture Biennale uh, in Rotterdam. Uh, today, she's going to talk about the work of the practice uh, in, in Asia, but in particular in Taiwan. Please welcome Francine Huben. <coughs> okay, thank you. Let me see how this works. I don't need all these lights on me. Is that necessary? Is it? Um, I want to tell you today about, I thought, why not tell about Taiwan and talk about Meccano as a symphony orchestra, but even designing for a symphony orchestra. Um, as you know, we do public buildings, not only public buildings, all over the world and they follow the order of people, place, purpose. But they're all different because we try to react on the local identity and the local climate. And why I want to talk about Taiwan in Asia, because for me it's interesting, it's a similar size country as my own country here, the Netherlands. Um, of course, it also has these different cities. On mobility issues are interesting to compare. Uh, innovation parts, but also, for instance, the difference between Taipei and Kaohsiung. It's like Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Um, I will show you. So this is Kaohsiung, harbor city uh, in the south of um, Taiwan. Um, we participated in a competition for a large performing arts center. Um, and what I like to do also in public buildings is to combine the formal with the informal. Uh, the formal is often well prescribed in a brief, put in a, in a brief, in a design brief, but the informal part not. And for me it's interesting to observe a city, a culture. Um, for instance, the origin of uh, Chinese opera is the street, it's street theater. So outdoor performances is, from, is an extremely important um, part of the informal performing arts. This is a picture I made in um, Kaohsiung. But also uh, the climate. It's, uh, uh, Taiwan it has typhoon, it has earthquakes, uh, it can rain very hard, it can be very warm. And the southern part of Taiwan is tropical, so it means it's, at 6 o'clock it's dark and people come out of their um, houses, of the work, they eat in the streets, they dance in the streets, 
they have their informal performing arts, and I loved it. Um, it's also a very informal city. Our commission, the brief, was on a former military compound. Um, and to change it, it took many years to change it. The decision, political decision was made to, that it becomes a city park in combination, a cultural city park. And I remember, here you see the old pictures of it. It's almost one by one kilometer, the, the military compound. Um, and I remember coming there, it was already empty, um, the site. So I remember empty barks, dark, barking dogs, and the banyan trees in between these um, barracks. And for me, a tree often says something about climate, it says something about the earth, and it's even part of a culture. And walking and being there for 12 years now in Taipei, visiting it for 12 years, Taiwan, what happens underneath these trees um, is for me really part of the spirit of the informal performing arts. Um, it's the culture, it's, this, it's one tree that connects to each other, it makes a crown, it protects you from the rain and the sun, um, but it's also the formal language of it. So that's what we did, the formal language of the, the, uh, the banyan tree became the element of making a huge, perform the biggest performing arts center in the world underneath one roof. So it's, it's a concert hall, it's a lyric opera, it's a recital hall and a playhouse and an open-air theater. They all have their own acoustics, own atmosphere, own foyer space, and where we put it all underneath one roof and where the roof touches the park, it becomes the open-air theater. And we make it as part of a landscape of the park. So going to the Performing Arts Center is like going to the park. And also, we, uh, yeah, we can show you now how it is, but we always had to explain to people that the in-between space, the, uh, between the auditoria, is tropical. It means it's open, the wind can uh, blow through it. And if you really want to make a tropical building, you have to catch, try to catch the wind of the ocean. And that's what we did. Here, this idea, the rendering we made like 12 years ago, um, where the roof touches um, the park, becomes the open-air theater. And you see the layout, but also the height lines of the uh, landscape that goes even through our building to create the, uh, the logistics that how the, the four performing art, how the four auditorium are served by uh, all the logistics, all the back of house, because you can't make a back of house area, so it's underneath the building. The idea of this tropical space with the foyers, the foyers of the, uh, for instance, this is the lyric you're looking at, looking back into the Banyan Plaza. And you see the change of the light, that was our concept, how you could adjust the light, because artificial light is so much part uh, of a country that's uh, at six o'clock it becomes dark, but also very much part of the Chinese uh, culture. 
of course, it's, it was a, a big task for us, yeah, the acoustics, the scale one to ton model, the whole opera house, the scenery, transfer system, it's all uh, top of the bill. Um, all this technique is in it. But also for me, it's kind of interesting because I assume that most of you are architects. Are you architects? Yes? It's interesting, you know, what happened in 12 years' time. The model we made at that time is this one. We made it all out of softwood. It was hand-curved. Um, and uh, But later on, we could do it in 3D model. Uh, we, we did really pieces of it, how to make it. And for instance, I want to show you that because we knew, in a way, we know how to make the concert hall, the recital hall, all these kind of things, and how to make a roof, but how to make the Banyan Plaza uh, with the curved lines, but also with 100% humidity, because tropical, it has to be hefterproof, um, how to deal with that. It's like an enormous ocean liner, the building. What is, in a way, interesting, because also think of all the earthquakes, so the building can really move like this, like on the waves of the, <coughs> of the land, instead of the waves of the sea. But also the testing of how to materialize the Banyan Plaza. And this is what we did in 2008. We took a piece of what we called a piece of Banyan and tested. And we made it, we scaled it down, one to four, I believe. And we scaled it down and testing it. Would it be possible to, that we develop special tiles in a kind of crackly, Chinese crackly, to make these curved uh, systems. And if you look very well, to, and we also tested the light, and we said, okay, the light is okay, but to make it with the curved, with the special ties we developed, we thought it was not a good idea. You could not, uh, also in the humidity, uh, even in Milan, it was already difficult. So through many, many options, at the end, we decided to make it like a cargo ship with the technique of a shipbuilding industry. But also, we really wanted to express a cargo ship, not a luxury yacht, uh, for many, many reasons. Um, also, the budget was more like a cargo ship, but it also, I will show you later, it gives you also much more connection to the people who make all these, these cargo ships in Kaohsiung itself, um, but also the texture of it. The whole building construction of this building was an amazing process. Um, <coughs> No water here. Oh, yeah, we are trying to make. Um, we are preparing a, a documentary on it. We tried to follow it for 12 years. The whole project. <coughs> is it wrong? Did I do that? Here is. I think it's. Wait. This is a little movie. Can somebody? I don't know how it works. Nobody behind the desk there. You want to see it? Oh, yeah. Here you see it because your architects may be interested. So we did these pieces by pieces. Um, and the big thing for them was is how to mount it because normally yeah, they had to do it with these, I don't know the English word for that, because in a ship that's not necessary. And it all fitted. It's also amazing because the steel industry works in such a perfect way.
but here in this picture you can also see the texture of how we, we really wanted to show the joints and also these, all these pieces, what gives it a kind of nice scale of the whole building. Um, and what I think is so interesting of the building, as I told you, it was inspired by the local banyan tree and at the same time made by the local shipbuilding industry. And that's, for me, really Meccano. Also, it's, it's, a, it's a huge building. Uh, it was also nice because the park was already opened after five years, um, was in use as a metropolitan park. And the building was almost like, you know, it fitted in the landscape, it was still on the construction, and it, it, it fitted in a very regular way. I don't know what's happening here. But here you see that... But also the testing, we developed like a huge... Uh, it, we have like 14 chandeliers. That makes it also like the living room of the, the city. And they can adjust to it. It makes it also kind of futuristic. It's, uh, it's really nice, the testing of it here, if, if everything is just black and white. Also the whole sculpturality and also like in the Pantheon to you know, really deal with the light in a very dramatic way because you're also not allowed to bring too much light in because that would be too hot for them. It's very, very beautiful, dramatic light. These the, are the foyers when you enter the building. And then you get every time in, for instance, this is the concert hall. It's um, everybody sitting around the piano player. That was the idea. I think with a unique double organ. It's not like in a church where an organ just hangs in the middle, but it's really positioned in two ways. Um, very good acoustics um, and very uh, good uh, sculpturality, adjustable height. I think what is good is that, uh, is that the music is not just not often in a, in a concert hall, it's good for the audience, but here it's also really good for the musicians playing there, and that's also what they told us. The small recital hall, it's very intimate, intimate. it's more um, asymmetric uh, composition, again with the idea uh, that some, as much as people can see the, the hands of the piano player. And here with these elements like color, like the artist color, sculpture, uh, they're hanging above again to uh, make good acoustics. And this is the playhouse. Uh, it's the most flexible one. This is one uh, is for Chinese opera, uh, because Chinese opera is a totally different way of acoustics and way of playing than Western uh, opera. The chairs. And this is the opera house. Um, the lyric. I was giving here a lecture. Somebody made a picture when I was giving a lecture in the opera house last uh, a month ago. Uh, we developed the chairs, uh, the, the, the fabric is made here in the Netherlands, and we developed um, very good fabric, um, but also with certain patterns and colors that fits every time in, um, in the venue and in the atmosphere we wanted to reach. So the, the, the champagne golden-like is in, in the two music halls, the blue one is in the theater, um, the flexible theater and the different shades of red and purple are in the opera house. So that's, that's more than just it. It's amazing how it's used. 
as I told you, we try to combine the formal with the informal. Um, and the informal part was already open, I think, now for half a year. And it's, it's so well used and so well programmed. So I also want to give a, a big compliment for uh, the operator who came in, I think, a year ago, because time before that was just uh, was another team. But it's really great how it's done and used here in Taiwan, how they really, the whole population and all generations are part of the programming, or here they organized that they, that was also our idea that you could even use the skin of the Banya, Banyan to um, the Banyan Plaza to project and look at uh, movies, and that was also happening. Or you see um, children, or this was, I think this is maybe a picture where we had the opening, there was a, a big um, DJ, DJ playing. Even what we never expected in a certain corner of the building, that kids take off their shoes first, and then they start to glide. Uh, glide, is that the right English word for it? Oh, this was the opening. Um, and even the building itself, you can use it to sit and look at the park as a stage, but also the building itself becomes a stage. So like here is 25,000 people uh, were there for the opening of the building. Um, I think I have a little movie. Is that here? Is that this one? This was of the opening. October 13, 2018. It's a special day for Taiwan. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the Republic of China. Become a true people's palace, especially designed for all people of Taiwan. Thank you. But to really experience it, you should all go there. Um, it's yeah, it's no, it, it really made me very happy. The, but also, not just the opening, I said it was one of the happiest days in my life because everybody was so happy. But also the days after that, the people, it's like really, we call, always called it the acoustical landscape, and it's really also how people walk around there and use it. Um, as I told you, I tell you, I wanted to share 
Taiwan with the Netherlands because of the similar size and similar opportunities. Also how they adjust in a more urbanistic way. For instance, Kaohsiung was a harbor city, very polluted, very industrial, and how they made a plan in 1990 to change it. And you see, really, I come there now again, as I told you, 12 years, the air is really less polluted than I experienced 12 years ago. There's more parks, there's more public transportation, there's a high-speed train, there's metro, there's cultural buildings. It's really, um, they, it's really a next step towards sustainable planning and quality of life. Um, we've done, in these 12 years, several projects in, um, in Taiwan, and I thought maybe, for me, interesting to share with you the one we did for, again for Kaohsiung. Um, this is in 2006 Kaohsiung. You see the totally polluted river, and you see the railroad track. Um, the Hill River is, it's the Love River is the name, is now much more green, more clean. But also what they want to do is to use the railroad track as to make, uh, use it for more light rail and make it underground with making more stops to link to the uh, all different neighborhoods of the city and that becomes a linear park. And we, I, I just want to talk to you about now about the Kaohsiung station, what is in the middle. It's in a central area, old central area of Kaohsiung. Around it is more like almost Kaohsiung or Taiwan has a strong link with um, Japan. So it's almost like a Japanese urban village around it with also that height. But even the old railway station uh, looked like a Japanese building. And, um, but in the 60s they made these highways and whatever. So what happened is that they moved, you can see it on the left, on this picture in the corner, moved the old Japanese railway station. And they had the idea to make uh, this huge uh, design for the Kaohsiung station. It was made by uh, SOM at that time. It's even much bigger than the Wei Wuying. Yeah? So it's really in this rather small um, neighborhood to make this huge space. But also, it's not protecting from the rain and the sun because I think it's... It's not my opinion, but the whole neighborhood didn't want this. So it was rejected. But they started already to build the underground rail, road track, and um, everything. Then there was a Taiwanese architect who made this plan, but it was again rejected by the whole neighborhood because of the scale. Um, so what we did, we went, we continued with the original foundation of the original plan, because that was a train that was already on track. We changed the original traffic scheme because we wanted... Uh, mobility has always a big um, attention for me. It should also be a place to meet. So we changed that it becomes almost like a marketplace that people can meet and uh, we bring all forms of mobility together. Um, so here you can see the original proposal and the Meccano proposal that people brings people together from di for different disciplines. And then, again, it was about the climate. Uh, and what was, became our inspiration, that we wanted to make a much lower canopy, a covered roof, but also like the canopy of the Quijin Mazu temple, where you have all these um, red lanterns. So what we made, this huge canopy, was on top of the park. So it's a continuation of the park. So we developed the whole scheme and also developed the whole... Um, 
lighting system with them. And this is ground level, the street level, where people can enter. Um, and above it is a park, what links to the um, linear park of the city, but that's so that the railroad track is not a block in the city anymore, but it brings people uh, together. Um, and here you see, if you can follow it, it's really about railway platform, metro platform, then there's a sunken plaza, then you get to street level and the bus station and the intercity bus station, and then the canopy and the park and the bike path, so you can even bike over um, the railway station. And then you get some commercial towers around it. So it's again protecting from the rain and the sun, uh, and it's a green park. Also interesting is if you want to work with the, in these tropical areas, you really have to test if it's this catching of the wind of the ocean is extremely important. So it was also for us testing in Wei Wuying that was more easy because we are a little bit elevated in the side, so we can catch the wind. But here is working with a sunken plaza again to test. Uh, for me, this is almost like a beautiful picture, a beautiful painting. This is testing the ventilation of the building. It's now under construction. Uh, the day after Wei Wuying was opened, this station was opened because, yeah, the first phase, because it was the day that the first uh, train went through the tunnel. Here you see some of how it's under construction, how we developed the ceiling, how we developed our own um, new lamps for it. Uh, this was a picture of that festive moment, of the, also of so we had two openings in one weekend. And, um, and the first part of it. And here this, again, dealing with the light in like in the Pantheon and even the developing the own. Here's a little movie, I think. You want to see it? Or is it too late? Yeah, it's fine. So this is the park above it, <coughs> with bike passes. It's the original uh, Japanese train station that becomes more a cultural destination. The Sunken Plaza, where you go deeper to subway and train stations. This part is now opened. Going to the park. It will take another, I think, four years to really finish it. Maybe I tell you very shortly what we're doing more in Kaohsiung. Is that okay with you? It's more urban planning. But I think it's interesting if you get involved in a city where you come for such a long time that you get, you know, you want to participate. So had the, the polluted Kaohsiung refinery, we made a master plan to change it in a national green energy research center. Or a declining old port, how to deal with it to make a friendly green waterfront. Um, a hidden historical fortress, which you could not see anymore. 
and we made a whole plan that you can recognize it again uh, for future again and sustainable developments. Uh, we even got involved in social housing because affordable housing is a big, big task. Uh, I don't know if it's one of your themes in the in this WAF. Uh, th uh, is, is social housing, affordable housing, part of the thing? But it's the biggest task all over the world where I come. I don't know. Huh? Even even also here in Amsterdam. So we made a whole plan also for making a new social housing in uh, affordable housing in Kaohsiung. Um, and the last thing, what I, I think don't want to explain, but also just 45 minutes from Kaohsiung is in the construction, um, the Tainan Public Library, of, uh, also designed by us. So um, you all have to go to Taiwan, I advise. So here's some, it's in the construction. I don't know if it's my last. Yeah, these are the columns they are now making. I think I stop. Is that okay? This was my. Uh, is that okay with you? I can go on for longer, but uh, I think this is good enough here. Yes. Well, Francine, thank you very much for that and the the art sense, a stunning film. And um, you're obviously uh, very emotionally as well as intellectually involved uh, with, with that project. You don't often see architects dancing at the opening uh, of their own uh, building. And I wonder whether, um, was that project any, any different at a fundamental level in your attitude to how you used kind of some, some local context as the kind of as the identity starting point of the project, is that what you always do, or were there particular things about that project that made it special? I think it's an attitude. Uh, what I think was similar to um, the Library of Birmingham. Um, it's similar, and of course, it's more expressive. Uh, it's, it's in a landscape because it's really like an acoustic landscape, but the attitude to deal like this is... Uh, uh, yeah, it's part of uh, my philosophy, the people-place-purpose thing, and of combining the formal and the informal. But this is maybe the... the well, yeah, what was, it was not easy, eh? <laughs> I can tell you. But uh, that's why it maybe also made me so happy uh, seeing all these people enjoying this building, use it in a such a nice way, and you know, that's why we did it. Yeah. Is, is it is it true to say that the um, the evolution of the practice that landscapers played an increasing role in the way you think about the projects? Yeah, I think a landscape has always. It's also very much one of my own skills, but it's very much part of the philosophy. It, you can see it in the Library of Delft already. But even our very first project, I was also, you know, dealing with the landscape. And it's, I think that's the strength. Uh, it's also that I think our, our profession was split up in different disciplines, but originally it was much more one holistic thing. So I still treat it like, like a holistic thing. Yeah. Because I suppose, you know, if, if one was thinking about a headline for that project, I would, I would be thinking cultural landscape. Mm -hmm. Because quite often we've, we've seen examples where um, you have a landscape into which a beautiful building is put uh, or you have a beautiful building around which landscape is created. But in this case, 
you've actually combined these two things so that actually it's impossible in a way to say, well, where does this landscape end and where does the building begin? And equally with the, with the canopy over the railway station, yeah. um, what is the landscape? The landscape is in fact the roof. Um, but we know that's not the ground plane with that rather beautiful little Japanese, that beautiful little Japanese station. And I wonder whether actually, does, does this attitude in your work, is this Dutch? Is this about an attitude to land and the man-made um, as opposed to found nature, do you think? I don't know, I can only tell that's really Meccano. <laughs> Yeah. Because I think that's obviously they sometimes they say it's the Dutch. Some things that you say we are, I maybe there's many Dutch architects here, but we're all different. Um, and maybe it's nice I've never heard this because we as the Dutch also make landscape. Um, uh, maybe, but I think you also have to have it in your fingers. It's it's um, and often of course it you you work maybe many other firms work that they do the, the architecture themselves and then somebody else does the landscape. But then this this can never happen. What we did here, that, yeah, yeah, and I love it. And when it comes to um, let's talk about social housing for a moment, because you're right, it's the it's, it's the biggest issue everywhere. It's not particularly the subject of this conference, but there is a there is an aspect um, about social housing or affordable housing, which historically has been rather at odds with the notion of individual identity. In other words you know, the kind of Soviet East German concrete systems which went across the world providing much needed housing. But then um, you don't know the Dutch tradition. Oh. But, but the identity is kind of non-existent. Now, in the Netherlands, that's not been the case. Yeah. It's been much more distinction. But what happens if you're trying to do some social housing um, in, in Taiwan? What traditions can you pick up on there? Uh, what were... Um what was interesting for me is the, the use of the building. So, for instance, there is the regulation that you're never allowed to do um, on, on street level uh, housing. That should always be collective. Another thing, what I also going into affordable housing is that the houses, apartments are, of course, rather small, but that they really have collective spaces. Um, for instance, if you have a, a teacher that uh, one of your children needs for mathematics an extra teacher, that happens there. There's the piano player, uh, the, the teacher of the piano uh, comes there. There are books there. So it's really like a living room uh, for uh, these people. And I think it's very interesting uh, socially. It's really creating much more a community. Um, so that's why I, I also learn from these countries uh, what we can bring as an experience here. Also, it's interesting because yeah, people move all over the world. <laughs> so we also have, of course, uh, a very important Asian population getting here into, in the Netherlands. So it's very important to understand each other. What are the values uh, from different cultures? For instance, uh, how you deal with uh, a bathroom or a toilet is different in the culture in the Netherlands than in these countries. And I learned a lot about that. In a sense, that, that cultural facility that you were talking about in, in a housing block, in a way, you've given the entire city that with your art centre. I mean, that's a facility to which people can come. I wonder what the, what the reaction of the Taiwanese was 
to this where simultaneously they're getting facilities for their own history of kind of, you know, street entertainment and street opera at the same time as they're getting conventional Western models, albeit in a, in a kind of, I mean, it's, it's not Vienna, but uh, how, how does this yeah, but don't, this work? Yeah, I just want to say Taiwan is not an, uh, it's a very modern, <laughs> well-connected country. Yeah. So uh, um, also if you look at the programming of it, it's the Berlin Philharmonic will play there, the Rotterdam Philharmonic, the, the Netherlands Dance Theater is going to play there. Uh, so it's a very international, well-connected uh, cultural uh, uh, country. And the culture of themselves is also amazingly inspiring. So it's, um, and that's why it was for them so important to have um, very good venues as an investment in their own population, but also being, you know, that everybody also wants to come and play here, and that's really people, uh, and also, and then that's why the acoustics are so extremely important uh, if they are good and everybody wants to play here, and that's happening now. Was, was there ever a model where um, those individual facilities might have been placed? in the wider park no. as, as, as separate buildings or was it always going to be one everything under one no it was a competition they asked for this it's also not that these venues were available in the in the in, in uh, Kaohsiung of course they had some cultural buildings um, but you can compare it like the Lincoln Center or the or New York uh, the Kennedy Center uh, Kennedy Center of course is one but Lincoln Center is separate buildings um, and it was our design that paid it, made, put it all underneath one roof. And it's really uh, interesting because of this climate, but also if you look at the whole management, how you have to run such a um, um, uh, performing arts center, you need all this back of house together, uh, you know, the, the, the many pianos that you have between the recital hall and the concert hall. But even if you look at the Lincoln Center, it's also all connected underneath the, the different venues. And at, at what moment in the design process did you realize, or was that an idea from the beginning, that actually, in terms of the cultural landscape, you will be able to turn this entire building um, into a performance space of its own with the audience actually in, in the park around it? Was that? Did that come midway through the design, or was it an informing um, idea from the beginning? It, it was an idea of in the beginning, but I think a lot of people were, maybe even ourselves, were not aware of it. Yeah, we were aware of it, but also coming there, as I also explained in my lecture, coming there for so many times, especially the first years we came there four or five times a year, and then we always stayed long, we said, you know, this is really going to work here. Uh, you can only make this building here. In, in such a country with such lovely, uh, also the people in the south of Taiwan are more modest, more poetic people. You can't make this, for instance, in, yeah, of course we're very nice people in Rotterdam, because of the climate you cannot make it, but it was really possible here. Yeah. And also that, that's why it made me so happy that it's so well perceived by everybody. Because it's like a public building, I always say, it's for everybody. It's not just for the intellectual uh, elite. I think that's a very nice note on which to end. I think an inspirational talk. Thank you very much indeed, Francine Hoopen. Thank you. Thanks so much.